Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermood. Well, you've been talking to Peter Quayle, Kiri, for this week's programme. Yes, I was finding out about the suckler calf sales and also how farming is going generally from the younger generations. Yeah, I mean, that must be a tough thing because in the last 15, 20 years, there has been big changes in farming, the way the, way the outlook that people have, you know, the older farmers and the newer generation, isn't it? You know, a lot of the modern ones have been to agricultural college and are coming with new ideas, diversification, where the older people maybe take a bit more persuading. Yeah, it seems to be a lot more diversification. They, they seem to be being a fencing contractor or a builder in the day and then do the farming by evening and at weekend. And the steady income from their other jobs seems to be what fund some of the agricultural practices at the minute uh, prices are a bit rocky and uh, yeah it's it's difficult times but different ideas and different generations it can be quite hard sometimes yeah is there much of a divide in the Kermode family <laughs> oh gosh we're always wrong the young ones have no idea <laughs> oh fair cop well I went away to the uh, Balaf Kurok Wildlife Park spoke to the general manager there Catherine Graham because uh, they were in the middle I think the last time you were there of um, building a nice penguin nesting area. That's all been completed now. It looks fantastic. Wow. That'd be like that mug back garden actually, oh, and super. also the the silvery gibbons which they got in July. Uh, very honoured they were to have a pair of breeding ones uh, come to the Isle of Man. So uh, I was there. Obviously, you're not going to see them on the radio, but I can uh, describe how they were when we were there. And of course, uh, fantastic news that they've been accredited uh, to EASA. Um, which is uh, a European Association of Zoo and Aquaria uh, membership. So uh, great it's news there for the Wildlife news. Park. And also, big week for the uh, Craig Niche gang. Yes, Hopchine is just around the corner and... Yeah, they always celebrate it and keep it well alive at Craig Niche. And Helen Ashcroft and her able assistant Beth Gale have been getting prepared to dig up five acres of turnips and um yeah they're in for a, a busy week ahead they've got singing and dancing prepared and a marquee for the children to come and hollow out their turnips and yeah a great tradition carrying on down there well, they must have more than one song hop tune or Ginny the witch mustn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. we'll find out so this is this week's countryside manx radio's countryside is brought to you by nfu mutual Exciting news at the Kurok Wildlife Park in Balaf. Not only have they finished their new penguin nesting enclosure, uh, they've got the delivery of the silvery gibbons back in July. And I caught up with the general manager, Kathleen Graham, to find out how they were settling in. But first, congratulated her on the news that they'd been reaccredited to IASA. We've been members of IASA for some time, about 16 years, and of course we're members of BIASA, which is the British and Irish Association of Zoos and Aquaria. But IASA is the European Association of Zoos and Aquaria. So the standards of welfare, education, conservation work are quite high. So it's just really in the last five, six years that IASA really started this reaccreditation process. So just because you met the standards so many years ago doesn't mean you always maintain the standards. So for them to come and reaccredit us 
and put us through quite a tough inspection and to gain our reaccreditation, gain our full membership status. Yeah, we're really, really pleased about that. You say about them coming, I mean, who comes over? Well, we actually had five top zoo professionals. So we had the accreditation officer from Miyaza who goes around viewing zoos all over the world. We had the director of ZSL Animals. We had the director of Fota Zoo. We had the director of Biaza and we had another person from the Biaza office. So it's five people who really know their stuff. So it was quite an intense process. You mentioned about they seem to be impressed with the marketing that you have for the younger people. I think obviously they take into account your, your circumstances, but that isn't necessarily any excuse for not coming up to standard. But I think the things that they took away, they particularly liked about the Currex Wildlife Park is they thought the education programme was very good. They commended us on that. Certainly Liz does a great job with all the schools and not just that, it's the public engagement and education that we do and, you know, engaging people and things like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. So they were very pleased with that. They loved the natural environment. They loved the fact that part of the park is on a Ramsar site and that people are able to access the Ramsar site and understand what wetland is. They liked the spacious and natural feel of the park and yeah they were impressed as well by the community and they could see that in the Isle of Man as well they, they liked the community spirit. You've got um, volunteers you see, haven't you? Yeah we've got a number of ways that mm. you can volunteer for the park there is some people who maybe come in and do maybe some handyman skills or help us with little jobs like that we've got people who come in doing the visitor engagement we call them the discovery team and you don't even need to know a lot about animals you actually just need to enjoy the outdoors and enjoy meeting people and you can learn about the animals so they might sit on a touch table or help with crafts or do presentations and talks with the bugs things like that and of course we take school placements we'll take you know people maybe who are um, a bit older as well aspiring to be a vet or going to conservation work we can provide placements for them and we have our corporate people as well we have all sorts of various banks and companies in the Isle of Man often bring their staff here to do work with enclosures and things like that. And that's the Friends of the Wildlife Park. They're a registered charity that actually helps support us. So, yeah, they could see that aspect of how we can be a kind of focus for the community mm. and do a lot of good. As well as, of course, being a great recreational facility for islanders and for tourism. I was going to say, I mean, they must go around to places all over the UK and Europe. How do they look at this place? Do they compare it with other places or have they got that understanding that it's fairly unique? Yeah, it was a great opportunity for us to glean some viewpoints from them because they see so many zoos and they are also been involved in the zoo industry for such a long time. Just to get a fresh pair of eyes, some of their comments, words of encouragement but also words of have you thought about this? Could you, you know, you look at that and so it's an also an opportunity for us to look at where we can continue to improve. They liked many of our plans. At the time they visited, we hadn't finished our new penguin nest area, but we were able to show them the pictures. We've now completed that. When we had the inspection was just before the gibbons arrived, but they could see the building going up and they liked that. They liked some of our future plans. But yeah, they recognise as with all zoos and wildlife parks, it is like 
painting the fourth rail bridge. It is a continuous process. You never pat yourself on the back and say, right, well, that's us, we're done. There's always more improvements to be made. And I think they were pleased to see that the Isle of Man government supports us, that people on the island support us. And it's important that we continue to get that support to really make the wildlife park a place that we can be proud of in the Isle of Man, which really stands up to other zoos in the UK and further afield. And so to get our accreditation again without any downgrading of our status, I think was great for the staff and for everybody involved in the park. You mentioned about the support you get from the Isle of Man. Over 50,000 visitors, don't you, a year? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the footfall. I mean, we've got a lot of members now. We've got over 3,500 members. Members love the park because, you know, for a family of four for £95, you could come here for 300 days of the year almost. So we're open for about 300 days of the year and many of our members regularly come. You see them sometimes weekly, but they can pop in just for an hour or two. Once you've paid your annual fee... You know, even if it's raining, you can come to use the soft play or if there's a new animal birth, you can come just to see that. So I think when you're not a pay-in-the-day visitor, you don't feel that you have to be at the park all day to get your money's worth. So, yeah, we've got 3,500 members and they're quite regular visitors. But our footfall has been consistently in the last two, three years been over the 50,000 mark. We're standing right by the, the penguin enclosure here now with a new nesting area. It's fairly impressive. Looks like the chasms. <laughs> yeah, it's the old nest site had been up for about 16 years and it was looking a bit tatty and perhaps was a little bit behind sort of modern husbandry techniques. So the new nest area visually looks better, but almost more importantly than that really is the fact that the, the nests are much easier to check. So we can check them from the back easily and we've kind of got a kind of offshore area behind the, the back of there as well now that we can use if we do have any ill penguins or we can, if hopefully, fingers crossed, if we have any penguin chicks, we can do a bit more intensive management of them. So, yeah, we're pleased to have that. It does really lift the enclosure. Although the um, penguins are quite timid animals and although that was their nest area for years, we did the beach extension about 18 months ago now. They didn't really like that, but they had to use that extension while we were upgrading the main nest site. And now they don't want to go back and use their new <laughs> nest area. <laughs> no, because to them it's it's like, oh, that's not our nest area. That's not what we recognise. So I think they're going to have to have a little bit of gentle persuasion, <laughs> shall we say, to start using it again. But once they do start using it, hopefully they'll love it. The Gibbons, that is a massive addition to the park, isn't it? Yeah, I've got to admit I'm a bit smitten with the Gibbons. I've always kind of been a large, hoofy-type person, but I'm pretty smitten with the Gibbons. They are, I think, the coolest animals at the moment, anyway. How honoured are you to have them ones that you've got there? The Silvery Gibbons, is it? Yeah, Silvery Gibbons, or Javan Gibbons, are called. They are one of the top priorities for zoos and wildlife parks. There's reckoned to be about 2,000 breeding pairs in Java and they're an endangered gibbon. There's only about 40 individuals in the whole of all the zoos in Europe and about half of those are at Howlett's. So Howlett's, which is run by the Aspinall Foundation, work out in Java with the silvery gibbons. So by having them here, 
it's our opportunity to raise some funds to actually put into the Aspinall Foundation to help the Gibbons out in Java. And for us, we actually got recommended a really quite genetically important breeding pair as well. They're right at breeding age now. Nakula is 11 and Slamet, the female, is 9. So they're at breeding age now. So we have seen some activity, shall we say. So fingers crossed it would be brilliant if we um, had a baby gibbon here next year. And just tell me about the spooktacular. This October, we're still open seven days a week. We're open right up till the end of half term. So thanks to Crossroads Care, we have our spooktacular event on Friday the 28th of October. So um, the kids are off and shh, don't tell anybody, kids in fancy dress get in for free. So we do expect it to be busy. It's usually a very popular event. So do get here early and bring a few pounds so that you can do the activities that Crossroads Care are putting on. It really helps them. Kathleen Graham, the General Manager of the Curragh Wildlife Park there, absolutely delighted with that news that uh, they've been recredited with that uh, European Association of Zoos and Aquaria accreditation. And of course the Silvery Gibbons, uh, Gibbons, can't say Gibbons, Kiri, <laughs> uh, settling in well. And of course the, the penguin nesting area finished there so it's a, and it was a beautiful day when I said a lovely quiet and crisp uh, sort of oh, you know them sort of cool days but you know with the sun is shining and yeah and you could hear just about every bird and animal that was around the park it was good they've worked really really hard at the wildlife park this sort of last two years to you know keep up to speed with all the regulations and and all the enclosures are looking really really great this you know they've, they've worked very hard yeah and it's nice that uh, when kathleen was saying there that it's got it wasn't just sort of men in suits that came around from offices it was proper people from from big zoos you know who've been all across europe looking at them well this is it they deal with thousands of animals mm. and to come to our smaller wildlife park you know it's certainly different you know different experience and and also our climate could be completely different from what they're used to around the yeah the it's like countryside areas. unique <laughs> <laughs> but of course the farm at uh, this time of year kiri the uh, maybe getting ready to think about bringing some animals in I mean, it's not quite got the dark nights yet and the cold but of course um the suckler cows and calves you know people been um looking oh, at yeah. them keeping an eye on them of course this, this time it. of year um suckler cows and calves just to to educate people yeah the suckler cow is a, a mother cow that's had a calf maybe in march and april time and this time of year they take the calf away wean it and uh, some people will house them and keep them themselves but a lot will take them down to the mart and uh, sell them on to a, a further breeder for finishing yeah well uh, you were involved in uh, that with peter quail with a chat weren't you i certainly was i popped along to the mart to see how trade was going and this time of year they have a suckler calf show and and a sale and i popped along to the mart to see how things were going generally and to see what the approach was from the younger breeders <laughs> You see a lot of younger farmers maybe having a part-time job and they'll keep livestock maybe in the evening times or at the weekends. see a lot of it in Ireland. You know, do you see this happening on our island? Well, it has happened over the years. Some of the most successful people who are able to sort of juggle jobs. But when you're looking after livestock at lambing and calving time, it is full-time and you do need somebody keeping an eye on them at all times. So 
it's not hard to have losses if you're spreading yourself too thinly. Yeah, I think it's more the steady income coming from the other job that might just be driving them into fencing contracting or, or the building side of things. It's just a little bit unknown with agriculture at the minute. Definitely. I mean, maybe sheep are a little bit easier and just take a bit less time looking after them. Uh, so, yes, there are hopefully some opportunities and we're hoping that there will be parcels of land that will become available and there will be good starts for some people but it's difficult enough. Well, hopefully trade will be good and it'll go forward and there'll be a lot more sales to come throughout the winter, Peter. Yeah, this is just a busy time. It was great to see a good crowd of people. It's good for them to come and just have a chat and see what's going on. I mean, there are some quite oldish farmers that come along and just have an eye and keep an eye on what's going on. And, but it's a pretty lonely industry and uh, they get a chance to talk and maybe hear about other people's problems and it doesn't maybe make your own sound quite so hard. <laughs> One last question, Peter. The people that are exporting cattle off the island, these are mostly out-of-spec livestock. Do you believe this is way forward? Yep, there are lots of good stock that does go as well, but um, I definitely think that what is not wanted by the meat plant should definitely be exported because uh, it's better for it to walk out and be sold and maybe further finishing or different markets away where they are wanted and needed rather than um, if they go through our meat plants and the costs afterwards and then exporting and then selling it onto an uncertain market is um, not good for anybody and that's one of the problems that we have with our meat plant. They say that the throughput's needed for the plant but if it's like this it's uh, detrimental I suppose. Yeah, they used to say throughput was everything but if they're losing on each lamb then um, it's absolutely pointless to keep supplying them through with the but there is, there's some big committees, there are lots of supposedly top men looking into the decisions to try and turn it round and um, it's come to a point where either they close it or they alter it. We think it's needed but it just can't carry on the way it is so there's got to be some massive changes and um, we hope that the right decision will be made. That was Peter Quayle talking generally about agriculture and next week we'll be hearing from him about the market reports. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. And, well, it's that time of year, the end of October, nearing upon us. And, Kerry, were you a turniper or a pumpkin? <laughs> a moot. A yeah. turnip we were in our house. Well, I suppose there were, every farm grew turnips, didn't they? Not, oh, not Or swedes, some like to call them. Oh, but uh, I like to class ours as manx. <laughs> but now, of course, the, the pumpkins have taken over and they seem to be a lot easier. Oh, a lot less to, bent spoons. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's... I suppose we had good cutlery in them days to get in them. But it was a, an art to it, wasn't there? And oh, uh, they were all ended up all shapes and sizes. But uh, you were down finding out about a, a massive Halloween event. Yes, Craig Nish is certainly uh, keeping the hop tune well alive. And five acres of turnips they've planted this year. They inundated the children throughout the week. And obviously the big celebration day on the on the weekend so I popped along to see Helen Ashcroft at Manx National Heritage to see how their preparation was going for this big event. Really looking forward to people arriving next week for Turnip for Turnips. That runs from Monday to Friday and then we've got the big traditional hop tune, the big festival day on the Sunday. So people can turn up and just pick a turnip and carve it out here at Craigniche? Yeah, that's right. Well, every afternoon next week of the half term, on weekdays, we are doing turnip carving so that people can take them off and have their own little celebrations at home. Uh, Hop Tune is a very big festival here on the Isle of Man. Halloween is creeping in a little bit, you know, more trick or treat. You really are trying to keep it alive. 
Yeah, that's right. Particularly on the traditional hop tune, we keep alive a lot of the stories and the traditions and rituals and we have a lot of activities on that reflect on the traditions of the past that are associated with hop tune and we try and keep it less spooky and more wholesome, outdoorsy, agricultural, that kind of thing to tie it in with the past. Now, hop tune was a very poignant part of the year for farming and agriculture. You know, the 31st of October was celebrated for the Celtic New Year. Yeah, that's right. So um, hop tune is closely associated it has the same roots as Hogmanay in Scotland and it is a new year celebration the Celtic new year was at this time it was observed at this time of year or so I'm told actually it was the 12th of November but it sort of crept in to be celebrated on the 31st of October yeah it was a time when all the harvest had been gathered and all your salt fish was ready for the winter what was really good was the nights were drawing in and so that meant that you didn't have to work as hard because while it was daylight you were working out in the fields and things and so that that was seen as a great blessing and this time of year became a time to really celebrate and especially in rural communities where they had Hollandtide fairs where people oh, yeah. farmers would be do, working on their leases and recruiting their employees for the year and also lots of traders came with their Hollandtide fairings which are gingerbread biscuits. We have Beth Gale here she's a student from the Isle of Man University College. Yeah so I'm doing my degree through the Isle of Man University College or College University Man. (laughs) (laughs) Helen very kindly gave me the opportunity to help with the event and I think it's important to keep cultural events alive, you know, for future generations. And so do you know the story of Ginny the Witch or is this something that uh, you're going to discover on Sunday maybe? Of course, ever since I was little, you know, it's something you're brought up on, Hopchune, Ginny the Witch, you know, it's island-known tradition. Ginny was actually a person that lived nearby here in in Bradder, is this right, Helen? Yeah, she was born um, in Mount Murray area. Oh no, she lived, sorry, in the Mount Murray area and she was a real person and she was trialed for witchcraft and found guilty actually but we were quite kind to our witches over here in comparison to a lot of places and there was a lot of evidence a lot of to and fro and in court people said that she you know she stopped my mill she killed my sheep but then there was people say but she saved my baby she shouldn't be prosecuted and so in the end the ecclesiastical courts decided that they would give her quite a light sentence they found her guilty and gave her a light sentence of standing in sackcloth at market crosses and with the, her crime written on her chest and also a short prison sentence and a small fine and then she was free to get on with her life whereas in other places she might not have had such fair treatment Ginny's the only witch that we really know of or, or is there many other stories? There are several other stories of Manx witches, but on the whole, the Manx people took a pretty dim view of harsh treatment of them. There was a witch, Margaret, I can't remember her surname, but she was burnt in 1615 in Castletown Square with her son. And the gentle folk of the Isle of Man were outraged and horrified. And so that set a precedent, really. And our witches, or people that were trial for witchcraft, which were people that were were filling the gap of health services because there was none none available and they were just applying cures using herbs and stuff like that and because they didn't understand the science they ascribed it to magic and um, administered these cures with a lot of ritual and superstition and all that kind of stuff and so they became known as witches and, and there was the odd trial but it wasn't a huge thing over here like it was in other places but there are some really interesting stories 
and we're really excited here because next year is a 300 year anniversary of the Ginny the Witch trials and when she was convicted and so with her having such a strong tie in with the Hop Tune and us being the host to a really wonderful Hop Tune festival we're really looking forward to sort of like rolling out the carpet for Ginny the Witch and telling her story and making that what like more widely known amongst the community. So this week though we're back to the field to, to dig up the turnips. Beth is this your job? <laughs> I'm sure I'm, I'm willing to roll my sleeves up and get involved if needed. How many do you plant here? Is it a lot? Well Pete the farmer has got a field that's got oh I don't know it must be about a five acre field and that's absolutely full of turnips and that's going to be his job over the weekend is getting in there and getting them the good ones pulled up so that <laughs> the good head sized turnips <laughs> but also the, the turnip the stumps originally they were used for battering on the houses maybe the people wouldn't very kind to them giving them any money or or sweets back then but they all parts of turnip were used and how come they did use turnips i'm not really sure other than that um the manx people were very very resourceful and you know it started off the young boys especially would go out and knock on the doors with these turnips using the the stump as a handle and they were looking for food actually so it was quite a poor thing so I'm assuming that a turnip was quite easy to grow and quite available and so that they could use it and that they would use those quite heavy it would bang on a door well and and not be too wasteful and then they could get their Hollandide supper which was a meal of fish parsnip and potatoes all mixed in with butter and that's what they were doing it for and then as time has gone by and some of the sort of American and British yeah. culture has crept in, that Hollandide supper is turned into sweets and cash. Actually hard <laughs> cash, hasn't it? I can't imagine two kids would be many kids would be too impressed if they knocked on doors at Hop Tune and were presented with a Hollandide supper. <laughs> So, Beth, do you still go out and knock on the doors? I haven't done in the past few years, but, well, I tell a lie. I've got younger siblings, so we go out with them, but I've not dressed up in a few years. <laughs> but it's always a cat or a witch that tend to be the costumes of choice in, in Hop Tune, but now they're getting a little bit more elaborate. Yeah, definitely. I think, like Helen said, that's the influence of, you know, American, British culture that's come in. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's important to keep Hop Tune alive, you know. You can't stress that enough, really. So you've got a busy few days ahead of you getting the turnips out of the field and then it all doors all open. What time is that, Beth? The time is one o'clock. Right the way through the week, one till four. Yeah, that's it. One till four, Monday to Friday. Um, we'll be operating the carving station. We've also got a few, you know, we're celebrating the moot or turnip and we've also got um, turnip temping bowling to oh keep my. kids entertained <laughs> and a turnip shy. So. Oh, so there's lots to do for the whole family then and, and hopefully you two will be dressed up. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> that was Helen Ashcroft and Beth Gale from the Manx National Heritage. Plenty going on then down there. So I like Craignice as well. It's a it's a lovely place because with living up north, I like to get down there because it's a bit of a rare treat, isn't it? Oh, it certainly now, I think is. we go south more than the southerners come north, though, personally. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it is nice. And five acres of turnips. There's some going, and poor Peter Kelly, he has to go, go in there all by himself, apparently, and pull all these turnips out. And <laughs> with the docker. With the docker. But <laughs> uh, I think Ga- uh, Beth Gale might give him a little bit of help this year. But uh, a lot of work to, work goes into it, getting prepared, and they've got a lovely marquee up ready for the children to come and do the, the hollowing out and music prepared. And I think it'll be a, a great week for them, really. Mm, good enough. Hope there's a great turn up for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. There we are, another countryside done and dusted, Kerry. Um, 
and it was good uh, to get to the park and Craig it's nice to get out and about and see what's going on isn't it especially that's at this the, time the of year too yes it? that's it you meet some fantastic people and and the wildlife park you know the stages throughout the year when I was there last they were preparing for the gibbons and now they've arrived and you know the new accreditation it's going forward and it's it's great to see only a handful of months but things do improve yeah, and hopefully uh, next week we'll have some some news of uh, what interest is about on the Isle of Man farms with the wild prices and things hopefully won't we oh yes interesting okay. times we'll leave it there for this week we'll see you the same time next week ta-da, ta-da. don't sit in the slow lane join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all new super fast plus broadband Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.